We're going to continue our series, Be Like Jesus. If you've ever wondered in life, what should I be doing? What should my life look like? Well, just be like Jesus, and you've got it covered, is really the uh, sort of the motivation behind this series that we're doing. And we're looking at some of the topics, maybe some of the things about Jesus that you don't normally look at, uh, that are, I think, very powerful and uh, I think they're, they're achievable, they're attainable for us to be able to be more like Jesus Christ. A bunch of years ago, several years ago anyways, I was on one, a sabbatical. And one of the things that I really wanted to do, and I did this uh, a little bit, is uh, I, I, my, one of the dreams that I have is to eventually hike the whole Appalachian Trail. Now, I don't know if it's all in one shot because it's 2,180 miles. It's a long ways. Uh, so I've been doing some segments. I've done about three or four segments along the way. Uh, when I started when I was 16, I did some more when I was a little bit older. And then in college, uh, I did, had a backpacking class, and we did several segments there as well. Uh, but several years ago, I decided I wanted to do uh, some, some of it just, from, just in South Carolina, North Carolina, and, and up in that area. And so uh, we have some good friends, good friends in our small group that have a, had a place, a house up near Franklin, North Carolina area, which is right where I wanted to jump onto the trail. So I drove up there and uh, spent the night. They took me over to the trail where I was going to begin my journey, a week-long backpacking trip. And uh, I remember I had my backpack, had my hat, had my walking stick, you know, and I'm, oh, this is heavy. But uh, I got there. I got on the trail, looked back, they took a couple pictures. Next thing I know, they're driving away. And there I am. <laughs> and I'm going, I guess I'm, I'm in. I guess I'm committed to this thing because I have no other choice. I'm either going to walk 30 miles back to their house or I'm going to go on this trail this week. And I, I just, I remember thinking back to that moment like, okay, I, I think I've gone past the point of no return. I have to go on the trail now. And, I mean, if you've ever been to the situation like that where you're, you've made a decision, you've taken a step, and there's no turning back, right? I mean, it can be scary. You're like, okay, I committed to this thing. Now I have to do it. But even though it's sort of risky, even though it's a little bit scary, it's that kind of a commitment that is required to be successful at anything we do, right? If you're, if you're anything that you succeed at, anything you're really going to embark on in life, for it to work, you have to have an all-in, all-out, 100%, I'm going to do this no matter what kind of a commitment. That's what Jesus' life was like. He was all-in. <laughs> he was 100% committed to and dependent on the Father for everything in his life. Let's go to the first verse in your notes. And uh, basically, if we're going to be like Jesus, that's the kind of commitment we need as well. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, and it says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, that's important, he was 100% God, he was 100% human being. I, I don't, don't ex ask me to explain it, but it was. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Okay, he didn't hang on to that. He knew it, but he didn't hang on to that. He could have. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He took on his human beingness. Not sure if that's a word, but he did. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. In other words, Jesus, though he was all God and all human, he was totally dependent on the Father for everything in his life. He, he decided that I am going to be committed 100% to following and obeying God for everything. Because when, when Jesus left heaven, it says that he came down from heaven, he came to earth, he was born as a baby to Mary. There was no turning back. The moment he left heaven, there was no, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm changing my mind, I'm going back. There wasn't any of that. He was 100% committed to what God had for him. And there's no backing out. Now, what does that look like or what does that not look like? There's a story in, in Matthew chapter 19 uh, of a guy who couldn't make that decision. This rich, young ruler, young guy comes to Jesus one time and says, Teacher, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, in other words, he, he said, what is one thing I need to do? Like there's this magic thing he needed to do. And Jesus said, well, you obey the laws, like the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing. And he says, I'm doing pretty good at those things. And Jesus said, well, good, good for you. And then he says this in uh, verse 21 and 22. He replied, Jesus replied, well, if you want to be perfect, you go and sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have riches in heaven. Then come and be my follower. Then the young, when the young man heard this, he was sad because he was very rich. Now, let me explain. Let me be very clear. This, this story, this, what Jesus told him was not about being wealthy or being poor. What it was about is where you, where you put your hope, your confidence, and your dependency. In other words, this man, though he was rich, he wasn't willing to give them up when Jesus, his dependency on them. Does that mean you can't be rich and follow? Not at all. It just means that if, if you are depending on anything besides Jesus for your life, you cannot follow Jesus. And for him, it was his wealth. In other words, he says, oh man, I, I, I'm, I do everything else, Jesus, but I can't let go of my wealth to follow you. And Jesus knew that. That's why he told him that. So my question is for us. What might you be hanging on to that's very dear to your heart? I mean, it could be wealth. Maybe it's a lack of wealth. Maybe that's got you as well. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's an idea. Maybe it's a vision. Maybe it's things. Maybe it, your schedule. I don't know. What is it? Maybe your family. 
that is more important to you, you're depending on them, you're hanging on to that, and you're saying, Jesus, if you ask me to give this up to follow you, I can't do it. It doesn't mean you can't have it. It just means that is more important to you than following Jesus is. So what is that? Because this is a real story. It's not just a parable. It's a real story that Jesus talked about. So this morning we're going to look at what are some things that Jesus did that we can do as well that helps us to be able to depend on the Father just as much as Jesus depended on the Father for everything in his life. Okay, so number one is this. Write this in your notes. Jesus obeyed the Father in everything he did. He obeyed the Father in everything he did. You know, you think about it, with Jesus' popularity with his influence, with his power. I mean, Jesus was the man. He could have easily went out on his own, right? He's like, you know what? I got this pretty good thing going. I got some people. I'm going to go, Father, thank you, but I got this, right? But he didn't. Jesus was loyal to, and he obeyed the Father even to the point of death. Now, we could go a long ways with this one, but th just think about the word obedience. For obedience to be obedience, there's two main things that need to happen. Number one, it needs to be immediate, and it needs to be complete, right? Parents, you understand this. You tell one of your kids or all of them, go clean up your room. What is the expectation? You do it now, and you do a really good job, all of it, right? They wait for an hour, and they come back and say, uh, and they, they, you found out they took one pair of underwear and put it in the hamper. That would be disobedience, right? Anybody with me on that? Okay. That is not obedience. So everything about Jesus, when he obeyed the Father, it was immediate, it was complete, and it was 100%. He was all in. That is the kind, if you're going to depend on the Father, that is the kind of obedience that is required of each one of us. Jesus says this in John 8. He says, For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. I do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father taught me, for I always do what pleases him. Let me repeat that last statement because that is what obedience and dependency on the Father looks like. I only do what pleases the Father. That's it. Now, if that doesn't describe you, we've got work to do. And I would say welcome to the club. We're all in this together. And another time, not in your notes, but Jesus said one time, he says, I only do and I only say what I see the Father doing and saying. So in other words, Jesus wasn't just obedient to the Father. He imitated the Father. And we see this all throughout the New Testament, that if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, one of your main ambitions in life should be to imitate Jesus Christ. Be like Jesus. That's the sign of spiritual maturity to becoming more like Jesus. 
And so Jesus obeyed the Father. It was all in. It was immediate. It was no matter what kind of obedience. Here's what it says in Romans 5, verse 19. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Now, what does that mean? You're probably wondering. One of those verses go, I think I sort of know kind of what that means, but I need a little help on this. Well, that's good because that's where if you're doing your Bible reading or studying whatever it is and you come across Scripture that is a little bit, I'm not quite sure. It's really one of the things that I've found helpful is find another translation and see what it says. Sometimes they're clearer and sometimes they're just like you just read before. This one's clear. I, I included uh, the, the CEV, which is the Contemporary English Version translation. Here's what it says. Adam, he was that one person, disobeyed God and caused many others to be sinners. But Jesus obeyed. He was the one who obeyed. Him obeyed God and will make many people acceptable to God. So this, this verse, this whole concept, is an example of the consequences and the legacy of our decisions. Adam and Eve, we remember this story, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Adam had one job. <laughs> Don't eat from that tree. He had one job. What did he do? He didn't do his job. He ate of the fruit from the tree that he was not supposed to eat of. He had all the other trees, all the other plants that he could eat from, but yet he was drawn to, he was enticed, he was tempted by the devil to go to this one tree. That one act of disobedience from Adam caused the rest, every other human being that followed Adam, to be born into a state of sin. We've all been sinners because of Adam since that very day. Now, fortunately... Jesus comes along and he decides he's going to obey the Father and he has the same result except the opposite. Because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, everyone on this planet can now be saved from being a sinner. They can have their sins forgiven. They can be a brand new person and go to heaven and have eternal life someday. That's why it is so important that the decisions that you make in life are more than just a casual should I, shouldn't I decision. There are consequences. There are people around you. There are people in your family. There's friends. There's the, the generations that follow you will be affected by your decisions, good and bad. And we see that in Adam and we see that in Jesus Christ. So choose well. No pressure, but choose well, right? Because choosing to obey and depend on God will determine the direction and the destiny of your life. It really does. I mean, you can look back. I think you can probably look back on some of the decisions you made, and you can say, well, because I made that decision... It was very impactful, and this is my life has turned out this way. If I would have made a different decision back then, I don't know what my life would have looked like. Now, not every decision is that feels that important, but some of them do, and some of them are. It says this in Romans 6 16. 
Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You are a slave to the decisions that you make when it comes to obedience. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. It's sort of sobering to think about, but it's that important. And it is that powerful and exciting to think that you can make decisions that bring life. You can make decisions that honor God. You can make decisions that affect the people around you for generations to come in a very good, positive way. That's exciting, right? And we, You don't have to go to the negative part of it. That's reality. But you can also make decisions that, that really move your life and your family and the people around you in a very, very good, God-honoring, lifting up Jesus Christ way. God gives us that opportunity to be able to do that. Number two, the second thing Jesus did is he relied on spending time with his father. Spending time with his father. I mean, there's multiple, over 13 times in the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books of the New Testament that talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Talk all about him. And there's over 13 times where he went off on his own to be with his father in prayer. Luke 15 is an example of this. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Think about this, okay? We said a little bit ago that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was all God, but he was also all human being. The God part of him, you're thinking, well, Jesus, I mean, you're equal with the Father. You have the power of the Father. You are God just like the Father is God. Why in the world would you have to go off and spend time with your God? But he did. And last time I checked, none of you are that good. You're not God. How much more is it necessary for us? To spend time with the Father. I mean, there's times when Jesus was in the middle of ministry. There's hundreds of people around him. You know, he's ministering throughout the night. People are coming from everywhere. And he's healing people. He's, he's touching people. He's, he's uh, saving people. He's delivering demons from people. Just all sorts, just right and left and going. And finally he says, okay, time out, guys. I, I'm off. i got to go spend time with the Father. And you go, Jesus, come on, man. you got three and a half years. you got to get busy. But he understood the power and the necessity of being with the Father. If Jesus had to do that, how much more do you and I, who aren't God, need to experience the same thing? It says in Luke 6, 12, it says one day afterward, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God. How long? All night. And it says when he came down from the mountain that morning after praying all night being with the Father, the first thing he did was he chose his 12 disciples. The 12 men that would change the world forever. But he needed that time 
to have God's wisdom, to have God's understanding, and his discretion for the decisions he was about to make. And the miracle, I think most of us remember this miracle, is when Jesus one time, one evening, he had just finished teaching and, and uh, feeding, you know, 5,000 people, 4,000 people and all this. And, and so that evening he put his disciples in a boat. He said, everybody get in the boat. And they're going, okay, we're going. And he's, then he shoves them off he go, and, and sends them across the, the lake. And they're going, Jesus, well, where are you going? He says, I'll meet up with you, but I'm going to go spend time with the Father. So Jesus goes and spends some time with the Father by himself. He comes back down, and during the night, what does he do? He catches up with the, his disciples. He walks on the water. He finds them in, in the middle of the lake, Sea of Galilee, in the middle of a storm, and they're freaking out. They saw him coming. They thought he was a ghost. He comes up. They realize him. Peter tries to walk on water. He make, takes a couple steps, right? And then he comes to the boat, and... Uh, not only does he have the miracle of walking on water, but he says, okay, storm, calm down. Relax, we're good. We get the point. The storm calms down. That happened right after Jesus spent some time with the Father alone. And you see, many, many times in the ministry of Jesus, some of the most powerful things that happened, including going to the cross happened right after Jesus spent time alone with the Father. How about you? When's the last time you just got away by yourself? I mean, it might be on your couch. It might be on a walk. It might be on a retreat, whatever it is, where you just got away, just you and God. And you spent time with the Father. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's just being quiet and listening. Maybe you feel unproductive. Like, is this a waste of time? God, I don't get, I don't feel anything. God, I don't hear anything. But I guarantee you this you probably will not hear God if you don't have those moments. It's during those times, even in my own life, in the mornings when I spend time with Him, that I get some of the best stuff, least expected. Is it every morning? No. Is it once a month? Maybe. But it's when I quiet everything, I quiet my heart, I quiet my soul. I quiet my head. That's a big one, right? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff goes on in, up there when you're quiet. Just bring it down. Say, Father, I'm just here. I'm just here. What have we got to talk about? And just listen. Maybe it's nothing for a couple days. But it's those times when you spend with the Father that he fills you with faith, he fills you with confidence, he fills you with his word, and he fills you with his Holy Spirit. You come out of there going, wow, God, that was good. That was really good, thank you. Number three, 
The third thing that Jesus did is he knew that his father would always come through. He would always come through. You know, you've probably been in situations already where, you know, maybe you were making a decision or maybe you were taking this step forward. And in your mind, you're going, um, what if God doesn't either want to help me this time or what if he can't? What if God can't handle this one? You ever think that? Um, if you're human, you probably did. Well, one example of this is in John 11, it gives us a story of Lazarus. You've probably heard this story before. I won't go into all the details. Lazarus was a really, really good family friend of Jesus. His sisters Mary and Martha were part of that. Somebody comes to Jesus and his disciples, they were several towns away, and uh, said, Jesus, your really good friend Lazarus is sick. And I mean, not just a cold with sniffles kind of sick. He really, really is sick, and he's probably going to die. Jesus says, thank you. Appreciate the news, and goes on. They go back. Jesus hangs out, and his disciples, well, Jesus, what, what's going on? He's your good friend. Why aren't you going and helping? You could heal this guy. Well, he stayed two more days. Okay, the next day, Jesus gets up and says, okay, guys, we're going to go back. We're going to go to Bethany, and we're going to... Uh, be with Lazarus because he's fell asleep. And they go, well, if he fell asleep, he's fine. I just wait till he wakes up. He goes, no, he, he died. Okay, <laughs> his some. Can you imagine Jesus sometimes talking and his disciples are like, duh, and he's, come on, guys, Let, you know, you you find that all throughout the the gospels, and so he goes back, and before he gets to Bethany, which is only about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Um, he meets Mary and Martha separate times. They come out, they meet Jesus, and they're, they're sort of ticked. They're glad he's there, but they're like, why didn't you come earlier? You could have saved your friend, our brother. And so Je it says Jesus was even agitated a little bit that they were mad at him. But we also get the, we also get the verse, uh, John eleven thirty five, 35, where it says Jesus wept. Why? His heart broke both for Mary and Martha, but also for, for the fr fact that Lazarus had passed. We don't know all the reasons, but he wept. And so he goes to the tomb. He says, okay, where's the tomb? So he goes to the tomb, and he tells the people, okay, roll the stone away from the tomb. And they're going, no, no, no. He's been in there four days. He's going to stink. And Jesus goes, it's okay. I got this. All right? But here's the thing I want you to remember. I'm going to read this in just a moment. But here's what to remember. They have, in Israel, they have archaeologically uncovered what they believe is the tomb of Lazarus. And it's not just a shelf that's right inside. It's actually 20 or 30 feet in the stone, underground, where they found it. And there's about 30-something, 30 33 to 35 steps that you have to walk. You can actually go down in there. When in, the first time I went to Israel, we were able to go down inside there. And you, you have to bend over. And you have to take the steps. So that's important to the story. So the steps go up to the mouth, the front of the tomb. So have that in mind, and here's what it says, starting at verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside, and then Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. You know, there was a whole bunch of people. It says that many people came from Jerusalem to, to console and to comfort Mary and Martha and the family. 
And he, he said, so that they would believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come forth, King James Version. And, and the dead man came out, his hands, catch this. Now remember what I told you about where the tomb was and how far he had to go and he had to bend over to get in and out. He's, and he came out, his hands and feet bound, they were still bound in grave clothes, and his face wrapped in headcloth, and Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. In other words, Lazarus didn't walk up the steps. He was literally elevated up there. God brought him up, and he's out of the tomb. Now think about this for a moment. We know Jesus was God, but he was also human. What would you do? I mean, what would go through your mind when you came, you know that you have the power, you know the Father has given you the power and the authority to heal people, to raise the dead. But at that moment, there's a whole crowd of people. I mean, crowd of people gathered around. And he says, open the tomb. Lazarus, come on out. Do you think it crossed his mind? What if the Father isn't into this? You ever think that? You think Jesus? Well, we know Jesus probably didn't because he was the one who had the power to do it as well, right? But how about you? Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever took, taken a step of obedience and you're thinking to yourself, I hope this works out. God, I hope you come through this time because I'm taking a risk I'm putting myself on the line. All these people are watching me make this decision. They're watching me say this. They're watching me pray, whatever it is. I mean, as a pastor, I've been in situations where I have publicly prayed for people's healing and saying God wants to heal them, and I've prayed that, and in my mind I'm going, what if it doesn't work? What if he doesn't? I'm human, right? <laughs> I'm going, God, you've got to do something here. But here's the thing, every decision you make in faith, every act of obedience you take in faith involves the unknown, every one. Now, if every decision you make, you've thought through it, you've prayed, but you've thought through it, you've figured it out, you've crossed all your T's, you dotted your I's, you'd look at all the pros and cons, and you made sure that everything is lining up for this to succeed. That's not faith, you're just really smart. Faith is, I don't have it all figured out. I don't even know what this is going to look like. God, you better come through or this will not work. And Jesus demonstrated that every moment of every day of his life. That God would always come through in everything that he did. But what if he doesn't? What, you know, what, what if you are about to take a step and you're thinking to yourself, what if this is the one time that God doesn't show up? <laughs> what do you do? You have a choice. You either stop and reverse course, or you simply say, because I'm trusting in God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to depend on him even more. I trust that God's going to come through this time. 
and then just watch what happens. Now, he always does. But here's the thing. He always does it his way and his time, which sometimes isn't ours. But he will always come through when we take those steps of faith. You can always depend on him. Then number four, Jesus did this. He went to the cross. As he went to the cross, Jesus still trusted the Father. He still trusted his Father. Even, I mean, when Jesus, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, think about this. Nine o'clock in the morning, on Friday morning, they nailed him to the cross. He's hanging there six hours. He didn't die until about three in the afternoon. So he's hanging there, nails in his hands, his feet. I mean, a crown of thorns on his head. He's just bleeding his back, which is just whipped raw, rubbing against this cross as he's trying to breathe, going up and down, trying to breathe. I imagine he probably, it was very tempting. I don't know. I can't read his mind, but I'm thinking if I was there, I'd go, God, I didn't sign up for this. Really? You're going to let me just... I don't, I'm not going to say leave me hanging, but sorry. God, I didn't know it was going to be this tough. But he didn't. Matter of fact, what he said in Luke 23, he says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last breath. Matter of fact, he was quoting that verse out of Psalm 35, 31 at that moment. But here's the thing. When you get to the point of completely depending on the Father for everything in your life, you can have confidence that even in the most difficult of times, you can trust God. Every time. There's never a time that you can trust God, that you have to doubt, God, are you there? God, did you re are you really in the middle of this? He is right there all the time. Matter of fact, especially in the darkest and the most difficult times of your life, God is at his best if you don't give up. For some of us, we would say, well, I've never really seen anything huge from God. Well, you probably did, you just don't recognize it. Or maybe you've given up just before God was about to do something amazing. Are you willing to wait it out? Are you willing to keep trusting on Him? Are you will, when you depend on God, that means you depend on Him. Nothing else. Him and for Him to come through in your life. So what does that look like? Well, let's... Let's bring it together to one verse. I think this one verse sort of brings it all together, and it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says this, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. That's what obedience is. You do what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Everything in life that you need, everything, God promises to take care of. If you put him first in everything you do, you go all in in your relationship with him, and then you completely trust and obey God for everything in your life. If you're going to be like Jesus, then you have to trust 
and depend on the Father just the way Jesus did. 100%, he was all in. There's no turning back. Okay, you're, you're, at the, you're at the head of the trail. You've got your backpack on, and your way out just left. You have no choice but to move ahead. That's the kind of dependency and trust you have with God. You say, God, here's where it starts. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Take control of me, Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you. I'm going to obey you because I know that you're the only one that will never let me down, including myself. That's exactly where God wants us. When you do that, you'll realize that more and more you're becoming like Jesus Christ because that's what he did.